morning to you. How are you today? Everybody blessed? We want to welcome you this morning. If it's your first time, thank you for coming. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. Uh, we say regularly here that we are so grateful for your taking the time to give us a look-see. There are really a lot of great churches in the West Memphis, Marion area. And if you're a first-time guest, we uh, want you to be sure and get, pick up a free gift at the close of the service. We'll explain that again a little bit later today. Everyone should have received a free copy uh, this morning of the, the message notes of this series, Strange Greek Word on the Front. Uh, it's pronounced ekonomos. Everybody say ekonomos. Okay, the o, the o is silent. looks like oikos, uh, yogurt. Okay, We've already sort of been there and done that, and I've got to take time to go back to review this morning. Uh, but just really excited to jump into this third message in this series. It's, it's going to be great. I'm going to do an announcement real quickly. He's already said this. You want to be involved in what we're going to launch next Sunday. Everybody gets a free copy of Andy Stanley's Principle of the Path. It's going to be a really fantastic series where you can jump in at your stage of life. If you're an empty nester, man, you can get with some other folks that are at that same stage. We've got a great home group for you, life group. Uh, if you have parents with young children, guess what? You're going to have child care provided for you. Everybody say, woohoo! So that's here at the church. Um, excited about three couples will be hosting that. You have something in your seat to participate. Sign up for that. Again, the book is free. So we'll be launching that next Sunday. I'm excited to do that. Um, I really wish I had some more time to continue this Economos series because I'm more excited today about the message that I'm bringing to you really than I have been in anything I've preached in probably two or three years because this has so much to do really with the fullness of the message of the gospel. In so many places, uh, th there has been the last few years where people are really striving to try to grasp what the gospel is and it's been, it's been coming from a reductionist point of view which is really no, nothing more than an atonement theory Okay, and all about, they say the gospel is that Jesus died to save you from your sins so you can die and go to heaven. And I want to tell you that a mansion in glory or fire insurance has so little to do with what the real full-fledged gospel is, that totally ignores everything that Jesus did for three and a half years of ministry in terms of showing us how to do life. And the gospel really is so much larger than that. The little portion that you hear so much is this much of a gospel that's bigger than this room. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord right now and He has invited you into a whole new alternative way of life which is called the kingdom of God, which is a present reality right now. And eternal life is not a long time. As a matter of fact, it's no time at all. Eternal life is not measured in quantity. It's measured in quality of life. And you get that at the new birth when Christ comes into your heart, not when you die in the sweet by and by. Somebody say amen. So I have eternal life right now. Okay. So as we begin this morning, I'm going to ask you if you would please stand with me one more time. We want to find a screen. We're here to grab hold of uh, our message uh, today with the text the scriptures are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let's do this together. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. That's 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. The word, the economos word, the Greek word is the word steward. Some translations will, will take the verb side of it and will talk about what's been entrusted to you. And it says here in the ESV that we must be found trustworthy. NIV, KJV both say that we should be found faithful. Stewards are supposed to be faithful. One more verse for the message today that has to do with work, okay? And we're going to find this one in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Heartily read it with me. Here we go. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Uh, English transliteration of the Hebrew word Sheol, which means the grave. Okay, So everybody is headed to, somebody called it the dirt nap. Okay, Now if you're a believer, you have a hope that extends way beyond the dirt nap. Okay, As a matter of fact, uh, to be absent from the body is to immediately be present with the Lord is what the Bible says. So this morning... It, it, is, it is not just Jesus died so that I could die and go to heaven. If that was really the whole object of the gospel, as soon as you commit your life to Christ, you could have died on the spot and gone ahead and entered into an eternal reward. But you've been left here because you have a purpose. Look at your neighbor and say, believe it or not, even you have a purpose. 
I want you to realize that this morning because we're talking about a significant portion of our lives in terms of the work. Pray with me right now. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this time together. I just acknowledge before you that I cannot do anything apart from you. Help me. Help me today. I'm bankrupt. God, but I thank you that I'm not without you, but that I have the, the, the treasures of the unsearchable riches of Christ packed full inside of me because Christ is in me. And I thank you for that, the hope of glory. Kingdom of God is not what I eat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost is in me. That means the kingdom is in me. And God, I thank you for that. Thank you today that you empower us, you adjust us and correct us, you comfort us, you strengthen us. Lord, you rebuke us, you equip us. All of these things that the Word is supposed to do, we invite you, Spirit of God, to do that. I can't do it. You're the only one that can. Take your place in this service today. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You be seated, please, if you would. All right, so as we jump into this today, I really believe that um, as we talk about this third part in the series, the title of my message is there. Read it out loud with me, if you would. Your work matters to God. Really, Pastor? You're really telling me that that whole secular life all week long, all the stuff that I do, that, that God cares about it? Yes. I believe that the problem is, though, is that you hear a 35 or 40-minute message from me on Sunday morning or any one of our other wonderful speakers on our preaching team here at Victory, Alex, Haley, or Jeremy. And what that competes with in that 30 to 40 minutes competes with multiplied hours that you're listening to pop culture on the radio and you're surfing the net and you're tweeting and you're Facebooking and you're listening to other people talk and all of the stuff and ideas that they're giving to you about job and work and employment and all these things are just sort of, it's marinating us. How many of you, or how many, of the, how many guys are, are real good grillers here? Anybody you want to tell me that you're a good barbecuer? How many of you know the importance in the, the meat and the taste and the juice is the night before marinating it? The great taste in the meat is not the hour that you're spending there standing over the flame, but it's what you put into it the night before when it sits in the refrigerator and it marinates in something. Well, we're marinating in our culture, and a lot of this is really influencing the, us in our worldview. And so I want to take a minute. We're going to make this fun. I want you to flip your bulletin over, if you would please, on the back. You have plenty room on the back. If you have something to write with, I want you to take your own score because whoever has the high score in the room, okay, we've got a gift for you today. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back to music. We're going to get in uh, the DeLorean of the Back to the Future. And we're going to drive back to, zoom back to 1955. And I want you to see what the, the, the Germans talk about, the zeitgeist. It is the spirit of the day in which the view that people have from work comes from what they're hearing on their radios. So we're asking the question, how much has popular culture formed your view of work? Okay, here we go. Zoop, 1955. Some people say a man is made out of mud A poor man's made out of muscle and blood Muscle and blood and skin and bones A mind that's weak and a back that's strong You load 16 tons, what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go I owe my soul to the company store Stop, who is that? Tennessee Ernie Ford, 16 tons. All right, now that's probably for our older generation. But you know what? I'm, I'm not that old, but I grew up here. My, my daughter's on the front row laughing. <laughs> my dad loved Tennessee Ernie Ford. And Saturday night, we sat around and we, we watched the Grand Ole Opry and all the local shows beforehand. And we saw... All these stars sing this stuff. So I grew up hearing this, okay? So let's, let's not stay in the 50s, okay? Let's bring it up a little bit. So we're going to get back in the DeLorean and we're going to drive into 1964. Here we go. It's been a hard day's night And I've been working like a dog All right, all right, who is that? 
Beatles. Okay, if you got Ernie Ford, Tennessee right, put a, put a mark. If you got the Beatles right, put a mark. Now, you just you be honest. Okay, now remember, God knows whether you knew the answer or not. Okay, so we've got Tennessee Ernie Ford, number one, the Beatles, number two. Okay, so we're going to get in the DeLorean and we're going to drive ahead into the future a little bit and we're going to see how pop culture is influencing our view of work. Okay, so here we go. This job and shove it. I ain't working here. Come on, sing it with me. A woman done left and took all the reason I was working for. You better not try to stand in my way as I'm walking. Come on, here we go, everybody. Here it comes. Take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. All right, stop it. Who is that? Don't put it up yet. Who? Johnny Paycheck. Okay, you can kill it. Johnny Paycheck. We got three down. All right. Now, how many of you know that probably puts you in a certain mindset if you listen to that all the way to work? How many of you know if you walk in 15 minutes late and you're, well, pastor said I got to do this job to the glory of God. And you probably don't remember that I said that on Sunday because you drove to work singing, take this job and shove it. Are you getting my point this morning? All right, let's, uh, let's fast forward into the future a little bit further. Here we go. Come on. Tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen. Pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come to life. In the shower and the blood starts pumping Out on the streets the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on the job from 9 to 5 Come on, here we go Working 9 to 5 What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taking and all right, who is it? Oh, yeah If you eat a Cracker Barrel, you're going to hear a lot of Dolly we have breakfast staff meetings, and we get over way in a corner, away from everybody, and we go, can you turn Dolly down just a little bit? We're trying to plan preaching series at, at, and hear it over Dolly. All right, so there's a worldview there about work. All right, not finished yet, so keep up with your score. If you've gotten however many you got, mark it down. You've got two, three, four, whatever. Okay, next one. All right, now this is my college days. This is, this is real music right here, okay? Everyone's watching to see what you will do. Everyone's looking at you. Oh. Everyone's wondering who will come out tonight. Everyone's trying to get it right. Here we go, come on. Stop. Who is that? Loverboy, Lover Canadian band. Okay, probably some of you fell out of the competition on that one. Now, man, it's got a great beat, but that idea is demonic. Man, I'm just, I'm just trying to survive for the weekend. Everything I do on this job is to make me money so I can put on my red leather pants on Friday night and go to the club. First of all, I apologize that the image of me in red leather pants is in your mind now. I rebuke my front row pastors up here. They're in the floor laughing right now. All right. Uh, you know what? Let's just talk, call it like it is. We've been influenced by that. I've, been, I've just been working for the weekend. I, I can't even die because St. Peter don't call me now. I owe my soul to the company store. Or nine to five, or whatever. Okay, we got one more. Here we go. DJ yeah. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, no, no, they're saying don't do it. Up, up, and they stay there.
stop now. Keep your hands up, get them in the sky. Whoa. Homie, that ain't making in my folks locked down. All right, who is it? Okay, you put yourself down a point, honey. I bet this one is the deciding factor. And all my Tennessee Ernie Ford folks are going, that ain't music, Pastor. I can't believe you played that. Okay? You see, it's amazing how, you know what the wonderful thing is? We've got all of these differences of preference here in the room. And what unites us is Jesus. Different educational levels. Some of you are just sure that your music is ridiculous. Mine is the best. And so all of that stuff gets laid down when we become part of the body of Christ because we begin to live for a better good, for something higher than just what I want, okay? Some of you got real alive all of a sudden. Some of my younger ones, it's like, man, if we could have church like that, I would, whoa, yeah, yeah, okay? So, you know, all of those things give us a certain idea. Now, that's actually a combination of the DJ and Snoop Dogg and Ludacris, and I actually do know who these people are. And listen to it a little bit because I just don't think I can be completely disconnected from the culture of this generation and hope to be able to, to be able to reach kids in this generation. And some of these kids are 35 years old and, and playing video games and they're still listening. All I do is win, win, win. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Look, look, if you think that's unholy then, and you think Johnny Paycheck saying, take this job and, and we actually sang that out loud in church a minute ago. All of you guys need to go. You need to visit Victory. This is the coolest. <laughs> um, now, the, the, what we do here is we try to keep it real. It's not about uh, putting on some kind of pinched, sort of pickle-eating, persimmon-sucking, baptized in lemon juice, sort of, I love Jesus. <laughs> and that's kind of sometimes the view that we have with the world, especially if we're like some kind of hyper-fundamentalist, you know, and a legalist and all those things that we fight against. Now, let me just say this. Tally up how many you have. Now, would we have six songs? Is that right? I think we cut it. We, we just had seven. We cut one down. Six. Did anybody get six? Did anybody get all six? You got all six, obviously. This guy is a professional musician, toured with a band out of that whole, I guess a little later than the Loverboy area in the 90s. So he's exempt, okay? Henry wins the gift. Henry wins the gift, okay. Um, let's see, see Heather. You know Heather, our administrative assistant. She has a gift for you at the close of the service. All right, that was six. I tell you what, did anybody get five? Oh, that's too many, okay. Y'all be blessed. <laughs> All right. You just know your music, that's right. All right, so we had a little fun with the song game. Okay, because I want you to see how much culture really influences what you think. We need to be people that are in the Word, committed to not just pulling a little one promise out of the bread box on our, our, our breakfast table and quoting that scripture and going on, but we need to be students of the Word, letting the Word wash over us and change our thinking about how we live. That's what the gospel is about. It's about this invitation to this whole new lifestyle called the kingdom of God. It, the gospel says Jesus Christ is Lord now. The culmination of it, the end of the, all the four Gospels, is that what Jesus did, the means to that end, and that was his death, burial, and resurrection. And somehow we've sort of shorthanded that in our preaching and made it all about that one act, and we've sort of forgotten the three and a half years that he lived and showed us how to live and walk in this whole new Gospel-centered, Gospel-filled life called the Kingdom of God. Have some work quotes. Listen, Thomas Edison said, Opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like work. Teddy Roosevelt, my favorite of the two, said, Far and away, the best prize that life has to offer is the chance to work hard and do it at work that is worth doing. Okay, so we're not just talking about fruitless, meaning, meaningful, menial tasks, but we're talking about finding a redemptive purpose in what we do. The great Maya Angelou, wonderful African-American poetess who died earlier this year. She said, nothing will work unless you do. And, and the way the prophet of the 1990s, Dr. Bruce Hornsby, said, get a job. Some of you remember that. All right, New York Times graphic. I want to find my little pointer here, and I'm going to ask if Josh would... Uh, Put that up for us. 
and I guess I have left it somewhere else. Okay, we've got a graphic that the New York Times published earlier this year, and it basically is a breakdown of all the counties in the whole uh, structure in America in terms of the counties that are struggling the most, where are the hardest places to live in the U.S., and where are those that are actually faring the best. If you look, the county ranking is down there on the very bottom right, and you will see where it says doing better with the sort of a teal green color. And then there's kind of a light, slightly green, and then there's almost a gray. So that's the left side is those that are doing better, okay? And if you'll notice, the New England area, Miami, Fort Lauderdale area, probably the Dallas, Texas area, Nashville is just booming, Atlanta, a lot up in the north region, very faring very well in terms of economy, wages they're being paid, uh, standard of living. Okay, but then when you look to the right side of the, the map uh, key there, it shows you a very, very faint kind of a, uh, a light peach color, and then you see a darker, um, I don't know what the color would be in between, and then you head over to the right, which would be the color of my shirt. And this was not intentional today. I just happened to get up and put this one on. But it's the, war, the place where we're doing the worst in terms of struggling economically. And if you look on the map, you can see with us right there in the area of what's called the Mid-South, we have the, the tri-county area of Crittenden County, Arkansas, Shelby County, Tennessee, DeSoto County, Mississippi. That's referred to as the Mid-South. That's the tri-county, and the Mid-South obviously springs out in a little bit larger circles, okay? So the reason that I'm bringing this to you this morning is that I believe there's a redemptive purpose in understanding a biblical worldview of work. I mean, a, bi a biblical understanding of why we do what we do during this significant portion of our lives. Josh, if you'd go ahead, let me see the next. This one sort of it blows it up. And if you'll notice right there, the little county that you see in sort of blue-green, just barely, just in, in the little very faded teal side, that's DeSoto County, Mississippi. So we're talking South Haven. Uh, we're talking Olive Branch. Uh, that's the only place in this Mid-South area that's on the side of doing better. Everything else is struggling, okay? Memphis is in the very palest peach. And then when you cross the river right there, just to the left side, you see that looks like a, an apostrophe, okay? The county, Crittenden County right there, it is a hard orange. Everything around us right there, by the way, the two poorest counties in the nation are just a county or two over or down. So we're struggling, okay, economically. I believe there's a reason why that is whole host of them this morning that I don't have time in this one message to go into. This is not just a message. This is preaching the rest of the year. This is a couple of series. This is actually a book that I'm just exploding with this morning in terms of trying to help us stop living our lives out of a cultural mindset but begin to grab hold of a biblical worldview. Go ahead and give me the, the next frame, if you would, please. Crittenden County, Arkansas, the overall rank of our county is 2897 out of 3135. Now, if you, let me just round that up. That's 2900 out of 3100. In other words, we are at the bottom of the barrel. And, and I don't want to be offensive to anybody at all, but people in Arkansas, when I was growing up, said, thank God for Tennessee because it keeps us being the 50th. And I know that's not a funny thing to laugh at, but I actually heard that growing up. Now, there's some reasons why we battle what we battle around here, okay? I think one of them is because of our whole skewed view of an apocalyptic end-time kind of thing where, you know, Jesus is coming any second, and so we just don't ever think about preparing for the future or planning 100 years out or thinking about an inheritance for our children or our grandchildren, and I think it's just sort of don't polish the brass on a sinking ship because we hear so much of this billboard plastered rapture presentation date setting and every one of them have been totally, honest to God, black eye on the body of Christ wrong. And to live out of that kind of a mindset is one thing that is a factor in a whole bunch of ideas that I believe cripples us in the Mid-South. Oikonomos, this Greek word actually technically, economos is the idea of being able to steward what God has called us to. And so I have four principles that I want to share with you today very, very quickly. Um, I have a statistical study that I want to share first. I've been collecting stuff, five filing cabinets back there, every one of them deep. This is, 
These are the folders that are filled with stuff on calling, vocation, and work. And I waded through it and just picked the cherry of the best of the best of the best. Because, I mean, there's material here that could be a couple of books. Listen to this. This was a statistical study done at the turn of the millennium around 2000. It says a study reveals that 25% of employees in the United States hate their jobs so much that they equate work with prison. Another 56% could take it or leave it. And only 19% say they love their jobs. This was a John Maxwell leadership uh, tape that I was listening to. When I say tape, this is way back. Uh, maybe I think it was probably a CD because, like I said, it was about the, the turn of the millennium, 2000. And I was filling in as I was listening to John Maxwell teach about leadership and economic breakthroughs for people, especially entrepreneurs and companies. And he went on to say, create an environment where people are having fun and enjoy their work. Nothing is worse than having to get up and go to a job that you hate. Let me just tell you, this, this is such a popular occurrence. I have no names mentioned. I have a good friend who is a professional. He is a graduate degree trained, several degrees behind him, and he makes crazy money, and he hates his job, despises it. He says, this job provides me the money so I can do what I want to do with my life. And I just think, how sad can that be that you spend all of this time and money going to college and getting educations or vocational skills or whatever it is that you do, and you're going to give your life to it, and then you get there and you despise it. I want to tell you what, I, I have been in love with everything that I have been doing since I graduated college the first time. I love what I do. I love leading a local church. I, love, I teach history because I love teacher, history. I, I teach piano because I love to be able to help students who have a desire to be able to learn how to play and those who might have a little bit of an ear gift to, to meld together and build together uh, a natural, uh, very practical music theory principles and then also help them tap into the creative side, the talent side that God gave to them. Because anybody can learn to read black notes off of white paper. But to be able to tap into someone's God-given talent is, and I'm just going to say this like it is, there are a whole lot of teachers that you can go and spend money and they'll teach you how to read notes off the page. But there are very few that do what I do. And that's to be able to show you how you can begin to hear something and translate that, and I teach them spatially. Mary had a little lamb, little lamb, little lamb. And so in the very same way they see that the keyboard going up is when I'm going up, and when it goes down, they go down. So they begin to make a connection between a spatial and a hearing, and they start going, hey, I can hear this. Oh, my goodness, I can do this. And every one of these things has one thing in common, is teaching. I love to teach. I, I, I could be happy, and, and, and I, I don't want to uh, misrepresent in any kind of way. I would be totally happy living in Nashville and doing studio work, and I could do that in the recording business, recording industry. I'd be happy, probably make more money than I do pastoring this church. I could be happy teaching, really devoting myself into history. But I don't really think I could be as fulfilled as I know that I want to be when I'm doing something like leading people for the sake of the kingdom of God because I have an ability here in this place to be able to touch a whole lot more folks who leave here and get on the field of the football game of life and run the ball down the field. You, don't, you will not this week. Everybody's excited about Thursday night football and here comes the NFL and all this wonderful stuff and you've never seen one of those multi-million dollar paid coaches jump out of the huddle and run onto the field and take the ball across the goal line. It is always he is coaching them to be better at what they are skilled and gifted at doing and that's how we are to see a local pastor of a local church and that is a coach, someone who finds and discerns your gifting and your calling and helps you get equipped to express this whole new life called the kingdom of God at your place of work. Okay. Now, as we jump in, four principles really quickly. Number one, principle number one, too often our worldview comes from the world instead of God's word. Too often our worldview comes from the world instead of God's word. Romans 12.1 says, I beseech you therefore brothers... King James said, brethren. I'm going to quote it from Jimmy because that's where I learned it, King Jimmy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. The NIV says it's your spiritual act of worship. 
So I'm laying down my life. I'm singing the song, the William McDowell song. Here I am, here I stand. My life is in your hands. Lord, it's not just my Sunday morning one hour, raise my hands, go through the charismatic calisthenics moment. It's not just go ahead and do the Sunday morning thing so we can make God happy and then the rest of my life is sort of this whole secular thing where I'm really completely disconnected from God. Okay, he goes on to say, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, it is ridiculous that we are still almost 500 years later, to be technically correct, it's 497 years ago, Luther nailed the 95 theses to the Wittenberg door at at Worms. His 95 theses fighting all of the corruption of the Holy Roman Catholic Church at the time. And one of those big things that came out in the Reformation that Luther carried the charge and Calvin wrote, Luther was the voice and Calvin was the pen, John Knox was the sword in Scotland. These are the holy trinity of the Reformation. And Luther begins to talk about the vocations, the callings of God on the lives of men and how we're to literally recognize that God is actively involved in our lives 24 hours a day. And he was fighting against this medieval system of a priestcraft echelon in society and everybody else. It was a system of dualism. In the service in the church, that's the holy stuff. That's the high calling of God. But all week long, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, you're just doing secular stuff that really God doesn't care about. So Luther comes along and says, this is, this is ludicrous. This is outrageous. And he begins to talk about the importance of recognizing that God is with you in the moment. And what you do, you do it to the Lord, as we've quoted around here, that whatever you do in word or deed, you do it all in the name of Jesus, Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, you do it with all of your might. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Colossians 3.23-3.25 says, Whatever you do, you do it all heartily as unto the Lord for the glory of God, for you know that you will receive an inheritance as your reward from the Lord's Christ. So it's all about getting God back in the center of this thing. It's about recognizing that my work does matter to God. And let me just show you how crazy it is Our worldview so much of the time comes from the world instead of the Word of God. And this is just a pie chart showing you the average workday for employed persons ages 25 to 54 with children. So we've got four children. We've got six children. We've got 2.3 children. Whatever, you know, however big your quiver is. The Bible says happy the man that has a quiver full. And some of you got really big quivers with a bunch of children. That's beautiful. Some of you got a little smaller quiver. But you know how much time is taken up in raising those babies. But look at what we've got here, caring for others, sleeping. Man, I wish I could get 7.6 hours of sleep. And the crazy thing is I don't have squalling babies in the middle of the night to keep me awake now. I just wake up and, and get mad about it. Can I just confess my sin to you? I just go, I, I, I remind the Lord, I pray, I said, you said in the Psalms, you give your beloved sleep. Now, if you love me, <laughs> I need some Z's, Jesus. Eating and drinking, household chores, leisure and sports. Look at which piece of the pie is the biggest part of your 24-hour day. What is it? Say it. That's 8.6 hours. And if you're really telling the truth, some of you spend more than that. That's not just 40, it's 50, 60, 70 hours a week. So it's a much larger significant piece of your pie. The little inset diagram a moment ago that showed Crittenden County ranked at 28, 97 out of 30, 197 counties, whatever it was, showed the average life expectancy in Crittenden County of 71.8 years. Let's just round it out for the... For the For the ease of the math, let's say you live 75 years. Literally, you've spent 25 of those years at work. I don't just mean 40 years working, but I mean 25 of your 75 years alive. You've been 25 years on the job. And yet we think God doesn't care about that significant portion of our lives. That's ridiculous. 
Look at your neighbor and say, he's saying something. Okay, so we've got to recognize that our worldview about work has come to us from all of this nonsensical stuff that they've made millions on teaching us to say, take this job and shove it. Point number two, the original creation reveals God's original intention. The original creation reveals God's original intention. Listen quickly. So God created man in his own image, Genesis 1, 27, 28. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. We jump over to Genesis 2, verse 15. Listen, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Say those last two phrases with me. To work it and to keep it. So we've got a job. Out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. So God calls the man, and then the man calls creation. This is so cool. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. God has just stepped down into history, time and space, which he has created. And all of the creation, which by the way, at the end of every day, he says it's good. And at the end of the week of creation, he says, it's, behold, it's very good. And he's given man an assignment. Now some of you are already fast forwarding into Genesis 3 and the talking snake. And the forbidden fruit and Eve who was deceived and Adam who you thought for years was way back over there plowing the back 40 and it was his stupid wife who got deceived and ate the fruit and then Adam had to eat it so they would go out together. <laughs> now read your Bibles. It says Eve ate of the fruit and she gave some to her husband who was standing there. He didn't speak up. He was silent. Too many times men who are called to be leaders abdicate their places of responsibility and just let whatever be in order to keep peace in the house when you should be saying, wait a minute, baby. The God who told us he loved us is not the same voice you're hearing out of this snake. Now let me get out my sword, baby, and I'm going to cut the head of this fool off and let's just go on and obey God. But he didn't speak up. This is where I'm appealing to every warrior poet, every man of God in this room who's dreamed a dream, and that's not to grow up and become a nice Christian man. But you've had a, a dream of rescuing a beauty and having an adventure in your life and being a kingdom-advancing man and having a warrior spirit and understanding what this thing called the gospel of the kingdom of God is about. Doing what you do to win something, making your life count, making your days spent at work to be significant, not just going through the motions nine to five and hating every minute of it and thinking you're in a prison. But recognizing that there's a prophetic call of God on your life, sir, and there's an unction of the Holy Spirit on your life, ma'am. Even if you're a stay-at-home mom, you need to recognize what Luther said. Don't let this feminist nonsense tell you that your life doesn't count because you're staying home and feeding and diapering babies. As a matter of fact, when you change that dirty diaper off the baby, you are doing kingdom work because you're restoring order to where chaos has entered into it. It was William Perkins, the great Puritan reformer, that says the dad or the mom who changes the baby on the diaper, the man who puts a soul on a new shoe, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, his work is every bit as holy as the man who stands in the pulpit on Sunday morning and proclaims the Word of God. Amen. This was a Reformation truth 500 years ago and somehow we've gotten disconnected from it again in America. Every time a revival of the understanding of calling and vocation comes on the scene, it is a surge of progress and blessing and prosperity in history. It was a surge when Israel went to Mount Sinai and God came down through Moses and said, I am commissioning you to be my nation. I have called you to be a kingdom of priests. And history surged. And it surged again at Galilee when a little carpenter came forth called by God who would become the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Come on, help me preach a little bit in here this morning. Your life matters. Your work matters to God. Oh. I've got a magazine over here from 1999 called Modern Reformation and Gene Edward Veith writes a story called The Doctrine of Vocation. And I'm going to give you one quick Luther quote. He said this, Luther pointed out that God could populate the earth by creating each new generation of babies from the dust, just like he did Adam and Eve. Instead, he ordained that human beings should come together to bring up children and families. 
The offices of husband, wife, and parent are vocations. Everybody say vocations. They're vocations through which God works to rear and care for children. You are the hands and the feet of God by providing love and nurture and comfort and sometimes when needed, discipline. Would to God some parents would get some understanding of the necessary of discipline, the necessity of discipline with their children. In the Old Covenant, this was called the cultural mandate. Working the garden of the earth. Now, what you've got to get out of your mind is the idea that your work is under the curse. Say this out loud with me. The assignment came before the curse. Say it again. Come on, all together. The assignment came before the curse. Your work is not cursed. God added to the work what we call toil by the sweat of your brow. The reason that we struggle the way we do in the Bible belt where we ought to be prospering is because we're so gripped with a nonsensical idea that when I die in the sweet by and by, it's going to be a heavenly retirement village. That I'm going to lay around in a big oversized diaper and I'm going to pluck a three-string harp and lay on a cloud. A lot of the ideas that were birthed about heaven from us have not even come from the Bible. They've come out of popular southern gospel music that arose out of the Great Depression when everybody and his brother and the dog was poor as Job's turkey, as my grandfather used to say. And it was all about, hey, we may be poor in this life, but in the future, God's going to give us a 40-room mansion at the corner of two streets made out of gold. I know some of you already don't like the way I'm going with this. I believe in heaven. I just think that our idea here under the belt buckle of the Bible belt is totally messed up about it. 1 Corinthians 2, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. It is indescribable. You're going to be reunited with loved ones that have laid down in hope for a future resurrection. You're going to see those who've gone before you. When Jesus comes, it's not so much you're going to go see them. The Bible says in the book of Jude, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. You're going to have to run up where granny is. Jesus is bringing granny back with him when he comes. Oh my, I've never heard this before. And so we've got this ridiculous idea about the afterlife and what heaven is and it's just this multiplied millions and millions and millions and millions of years where we're stuck and the MP3 player won't get past the fourth verse of Amazing Grace when we've been here 10 trillion years. And I love worship. I love music. I tell you, I, I think that when we really see Him face to face, we'll be so bowled over that there won't even be words to describe it. But the idea that heaven is only a great, big, everlasting, never-ending worship service, that's just something that's boring to me. I just don't even, I don't think, I don't see that in the Word. Let me tell you what heaven is. Heaven is the fact that God is a creator who is infinite and no matter how much we see Him, we will forever through eternity be continually learning the greatness more than we never ever thought we could know because God is that big. We'll be learning, we'll be working, we'll be taking up except this time the amazing thing is that heaven is a sin-free work environment. We'll have a whole new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And guess what? You can go to work and you won't have all this sin existing in the cubicle next to you or even in your own heart. And you can accomplish great things for the sake of... Somebody says, why do you think there's work? Well, Romans, I mean, sorry, Revelation 21 says the tree in the middle of the garden has fruit bearing 12 different fruits every month of the year and they are for the healing of the nations. Now, we're talking about in eternity, okay? So if we have nations in eternity that need healing, that means somebody's going to have to be involved in the healing process. Taking the leaves off of this tree, I don't think it's literal either, but we're talking about the involvement that we have doing what God has called us to do. Heaven then is a sin-free work environment. I mean, literally, just stop. I don't want to offend anybody or upset you. Please, please don't email me this week and go, Pastor, I can't believe. But really, what are you going to do with your 40-room mansion? They're not bedrooms because you don't sleep because there's no night, because there's no sun, because the lamb is the light. Okay, so that knocks out all those bedrooms. 
Oh, there'll not be one blind man on Hallelujah Square. And you're going to have your house at the corner of Glory and Hallelujah Boulevard. Or maybe you came from a little bit more humble background and just build my mansion next door to Jesus. Or you just want a little cabin in the corner of Glory. Some of you are laughing. Some of you are already offended at me. And I just want to tell you I love you. But this is nonsense. Heaven is a gazillion times more awesome and more wonderful. It is the expression of community and love and rest, restored families, the loved ones who've died and gone before us. But we're so possessed by that same kind of a mentality here in the Bible Belt South that we can't get beyond. We're hating our jobs and we're sitting on the workers on the boss's time and we're thinking, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. We've lost an awareness that what I'm doing in that 50, 60 hours a week is, is, the, is the picture of God. I, you know, we don't, see, we don't see Moses walking around every time. When I need water, I don't expect Moses to show up and speak to a rock and for the water to gush out of the rock. Now, we don't have a Moses today, but we have a Gerard who is a civil engineer who builds a water treatment plant. And he does it to the glory of God. He took me to Lone Oak to show me the plant that he'd been working on for several years and the fact that God uses the means or the agency of someone like that or the that are sitting up here that, that have a kingdom work of, of looking at a young family that need a starter home and they have to discern how much money they can, they can buy. They really want to have this amazing house with three-car garage and 4,200 square feet, but this little family can't discern, understand that they can't afford that. And so you've got people who have the kingdom work, like Don and Anita sitting here, and they sit down and they go, well, let me tell you, I've got this great little house. It's cute and it's just so awesome, and this will fit in your budget. That it provides a house that a little family can get in and they can begin to build a home. There is nothing more kingdom-oriented than doing that right there. Have, have I already scared every one of you? I believe that you can be a kingdom garbage man. I believe that you can do your work so well. This is the reason if you ever get the revelation that the earth is going to be yours because the meek shall inherit it, you won't drive down the highway and throw your McDonald's bag out the window. Are you hearing me this morning? See, the gospel has implications in how we live our lives. All right, I got to finish. Number three, living from a biblical sense of calling gives me purpose. Are you getting anything out of this? Living from a biblical sense of calling gives me purpose. There is a general sense of calling where God calls me into a relationship with Him. He calls me into the redemptive work. Romans 1.6 says that we are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for them who are the called according to His purpose. Those who love God and who are the called according to His purpose. I don't have time. Of all these scriptures, it's so great. There is a gospel call I give every Sunday morning. It is a universal call. I say, whosoever will may come. But there's a voice within the voice that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Theologians call this the effectual call. This is the Spirit walking these aisles, tapping your shoulder, and God begins to call His own sheep by name. I can't save you. I can't preach you out of hell, preach you into heaven. I can do the best I can to preach my understanding of the gospel and the Spirit of God gets in that and He has the unique ability to take words that I'm saying, sometimes that I don't even have planned, and He will penetrate the hardness of a sinner's heart and that sinner will be transformed, regenerated, rebirthed in this place with a fresh start in God, a whole new creation and the person sitting right next to them will walk out of here with a hardness that is greater than it was before they walked in the door. And that's just the work of the Spirit. I, I, that, that's not my... This, what was it Freddie Prince said? That's not my job, man. Some of you remember that. I throw out the net to everybody. But God chooses. He calls. He sends. Okay? There are specific vocations beyond the, the call to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the call to a job. Where he talked about Genesis 1 and 2. Exodus 20 verse 9 says, Six days a week you shall labor and do your work. Psalm 90, verse 17, Moses said, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom and establish the work of our hands. He says that phrase three times following, Establish the work of your hands, O God, that your kingdom may be advanced. 
The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. The King James says the vocation to which you've been called. So it's this idea of what Luther talked about, that it's, it's not this separation of dualism that the church taught us for a thousand years, that the priests are the really holy calling and everybody else is just sort of the menial laborers and your, your work doesn't count. But, but Luther and all of these reformers and the Puritans all grabbed a hold of this and they, they basically said, look, whether you're the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, you're the means God is using. Luther called it the mask of God. God is putting on a mask through Wes, who is an IT guy with FedEx. And when he does an excellent job and he's motivated to do it for the sake of the glory of God, that's God providing a clear pathway for, for jets to fly and get your products delivered to your house. Do you hear what I'm saying to you this morning? All of the things that you do, recognize that God's in it and your work matters to God and He cares about it. The gospel is not just about dying and going to heaven. Because if that's what it was about, as soon as you confessed Christ, you would have dropped dead on the spot and you could have entered into your eternal reward. But He left you here with a job to do, with work to do. Huey Lewis said, working for a living. That's the one I left out. Adam and Eve were called to be image bearers. Noah was called to build an ark. Abraham and Sarah were called to go on a journey and father nations. Joseph was called to the leadership of a nation. I'm just going to jump ahead. So many here. Joseph was a, Jesus was a carpenter. Called to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. Every one of these people that I've mentioned, except Jesus, none of them are preachers. They're soldiers and leaders and judges in Israel. They're warrior poets like David. Every one of them had a call of God on their lives. And people, you're sitting here this morning, and I doubt very many of you even, even consider the idea that God has called you to do what you do. I sit down with young people all the time and they say, where should I head in the sense of my career? And I have a few questions that I ask them that I don't have time to say because I've got to wrap this message up. But I said, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to find out where your heart is, your passion, where God has gifted you. And there's some things I can help you to, to utilize to find those. And then you throw yourself into that. The money will follow your passion. Don't end up in a job that you hate and you're just going through the motions. Okay? Let's finish this morning. God himself, is very, God himself is active in everyday human labor, family responsibilities, social interactions. Three men are on a work site, everyone with a shovel in his hand. Somebody walks out and says, what are you doing? And the guy says, digging this ditch. Not a lot of conversation with that, brother. Goes on over to somebody else who's got at least a smile on his face, and he says, what are you doing? And the guy says, I'm making a foundation. And you see someone across the way over there and he's shoveled in his hand doing the same kind of work that the dig ditch digger and the foundation maker are doing. He's smiling, he's singing, he's whistling. He says, sir, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a cathedral to the glory of God. He's got a shovel in his hand just like the guy that's digging a ditch. <laughs> just like the guy who's making a foundation. And you know what? Don't want to offend anybody, but we've got all three of those in this church this morning sitting here in this service right now. You're going to get a job tomorrow and some of you are just going to dig a ditch and you're going to remember that the pastor said, dig this ditch to the glory of God. <laughs> some of you at least have a pretty good attitude and you're going to show up. You know what? You're probably going to be in line for maybe a pr promotion because you're making a foundation. All of it has to do with the perspective. What are the glasses that you put on to look at that work through? But there's one or two of you in the room that are building a cathedral to the glory of God. And if you stay faithful in the little things... God won't just have you running that company. He'll have you owning it in about five or six years. And if Christians would just do that, we would so far surpass the rest of the workforce because it's ridiculous in Crittenden County. If you don't think so, just try to drive through a fast food restaurant and just see what our level of service is. Now, you want to understand what the kingdom service and fast food is? Go enjoy yourself a Chick-fil-A sandwich to the glory of God. You want to know why it's so much better? Because they've built their company around a kingdom work ethic. And everywhere you go, you know you're going to get the same kind of quality service with a smile on their face. And it's run by a Christian, developed by a Christian, invented, started by a Christian. And that's the way Christians ought to do their work every day. Come on, come, give God some praise this morning. Uh, number four, and I'm finished. Make your every days holy to the Lord. Mamas, when you change that diaper... You're doing kingdom work because you just brought order to chaos. It's a calling. It's a vocation. An old guy works for a famous builder. 
He's 75 years old. He's been a craftsman, an artist, and a carpenter his whole life. And he's ready to retire. He's tired. He's not on the job site enjoying it anymore. His history consists of not only being a good house builder, but he's a craftsman. He can make gorgeous furniture that's not nailed together, but it's tongue and groove and all those kinds of real cool things that go back to the sort of the Ethan Allen shaker furniture of, of early American period, the colonial period. Great, great stuff. This guy knows how to do it. But he's tired and it just, it's, he's bored with it and he doesn't want to put the time into it. And he's ready to retire. And the owner of this big, huge, massive multi-million dollar construction company says, he said, man, he said, Bill, I want you to build one more house for me before you retire. Oh, sir, I, I just, I just, I'm tired. I'm ready to quit. No, Bill, I really I need you to build me one more house, if you would, just one more house. And so he sets out to do it. He's running the crew out there, and they're digging the foundation, and he's tired, and so he's complaining on the job site, and he cuts corners like he never has before. He gets the foundation up out of the ground. They're in the framing process. His cuts are not as precise as they used to be, just sort of sloppily slipshod, nailed together. He gets into the finishing process where he's finishing the house, and it's a lovely home. It's four bedrooms. It's two-car garage. It's... You know, it's a really nice facility, and he's wondering who this guy's going to sell it to because this is probably a $300,000 house. Nice finishes, but they're not quite the way they should be. You know, the, the corners of the crown molding are not mitered. You can see that somebody really didn't take time to do it the way they should. You're seeing cracks in the hardwood floor that they don't quite meet. Joints are not there together. It wasn't painted well. Cracks are showing up. All kinds of problems. And so... Really, this guy says, you know, man, I've, I've served, done this thing my whole life. I'm, this is my last one. I'm just not going to put into it. I'm not going to put my heart into it the way I have. So the, the day comes when he's expecting it's going to be a turnkey operation. The old carpenter would be there the way he always has when the construction owner gets rid of, or not gets rid of, but he sells the house to a new buyer. And the only thing is nobody shows up that day. And the guy who owns the multi-million dollar construction company looks at Bill he takes the keys out of his pocket and he says, Bill, I want to present you with my gift to you for working your whole life. You've made a good living. You've made my life be successful and a blessing. And I want to give you your house. And Bill's face dropped. Because had he known that he was building his own house, he would have put his heart into it. So if you can go to work tomorrow and think about how would I do this if I owned this company, and quit criticizing the boss that you can't stand and thank God that he does the stuff he's willing to do that you don't have to think about. Paying the bills and keeping the margins open so he can run a staff and pay folks on time and crazy legalities, hoops that he's got to jump through. Oh my goodness, it just all is about putting on a different set of glasses. It's about looking at the world through a different set of lenses. It's about seeing that God actually cares about a third of my life that I call my work. It's recognizing that if I'm a security guard down here at Southland, that I'm providing safety for people. If they're going to go get something to eat, or they're going to enjoy. If I'm, if I'm a teaching school, it means that I'm willing to say, God, give me grace to put up with that kid that I'd like to lay hands on suddenly <laughs> in the name of Jesus. Help me, God, to break through because I'm called to that. And I'll tell you somebody who is. My wife is called to teach. She's called. Just like some of you in this room are called to be entrepreneurs. You're called to run a business. And I know I'm a little bit over, and I, I promised Haley. I said, I'm going to do better in the second service, I promise. And I'm already over. But I believe I'm hearing, I believe you're hearing what I'm saying this morning. Go to work tomorrow and say, God, give me fresh eyes. Don't let me just think I've just been working in the coal mine, going down, down, down. Whoops, I'm going to slip down. And have this whole cultural mentality of just working for the weekend. Whether it's the golf course or the lake house or whatever else we do. Somebody said one time, it's, it's honor and character in our work that is all the difference. Because some people turn up their sleeves, some people turn up their noses, and some people fail to turn up at all. So I just want to ask you, if you're on a team here, which one of those are you? Do you remember that you're called to be on team with us to touch the Delta and create a space of hospitality and love and acceptance in this place? Do you turn up your sleeves and get to work and help us? Or do you turn up your noses? Or do you just not even show up at all? Just however the shoe fits where it is. Apply that. We want to do what we do with excellence to the glory of God.
Lights are coming down, heads are bowing, eyes are closing all over the building. I'm, I'm telling you the gospel is the announcement into a whole new kind of life. It's called the kingdom of God. It's called God wants to show you how he can get up in the middle of your life and reorient your whole life around the gospel, around this whole thing of the lordship of Jesus. The gospel is Jesus Christ is Lord now. Now come get in life with me and follow me and walk with me. The means to that is all we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us have turned to our own, own way, our own wrong lifestyle. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. God creates a door into this whole new lifestyle called the kingdom of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I never will in my own strength. Every one of us are born in sin, but Christ died. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Very simply, it just means turning from the past. I change my mind. I repent about the former way I've lived, and I started to say, God, get in the middle of my life. Show me what gospel-centered living is about. And the gospel will change the way you do your work tomorrow. If you're a truck driver, the way you drive down the road and treat other drivers. All these things come into play. But you can't know the joy of a whole new kind of life if you've never entered the door. And that's crossing this line of faith with me this morning right now. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. Nobody's looking around the room. If that's you this morning as we say the amen to this service.